News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. <laughs> FAQ. Ho, ho, ho. It's FAQ NYC Christmas. I'm Harry Siegel here in Brooklyn with Professor Christina Greer with her fam in Philadelphia. Hello. Hello. And Alex Brooklyn in the village. Hello. Hello. This week, it's uh, just us. And you, dear listener, uh, there's lots and lots to talk about. We've got mutant strains of COVID, empty storefronts all up and down Manhattan, flights still coming in from Britain, uh, the zombie village voice resurrection, uh, Cuomo banning facial recognition in schools, uh, and uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, months after this report was promised, finally letting this IG report about the summer protests come out and saying, well, you know, really, my bad. Not exactly my bad. He never says exactly my bad. He says he's like shocked and dismayed at the report and that we have to do better etc., etc., from the DOI report. However, even today, as we record on Wednesday, somebody asked him about, well, why in the DOI report isn't the two cops that drove the SUVs into a crowd of people, why isn't that in there? And he was like, oh, I didn't realize that wasn't in there. But it definitely should be. However, and I might be like, you know, not exactly verbatim here, but he's like, but however, people do need to get out of the way if there's a police cruiser coming through. And it's like, are you kidding me anyway sorry to interrupt go on not at all not at all it's it's messy and we have uh 200,000 people running for mayor about to include cool guy and christina greer favorite uh new crush andrew yang watch um, me come through the screen you think <laughs> because i'm in philly i can't be in brooklyn in about two hours showing up at your door like what <laughs> and i'm wearing a biggie sweatshirt kicking the door waving what the four four. <laughs> so keep with the jokes, Harry Siegel. No, I'm anti Andrew Yang. He knows it. I know it. All of New York City knows it. He's a non-starter for me. Next. What's distressing me about Andrew Yang is uh, this math. Look, a lot of these people who are running for mayor are just going to be making some consultant some money. Andrew oh. Yang's main consultant, Bradley Tusk, doesn't actually need money. Uh, he got paid very, very well by Mike Bloomberg, whose 2013 campaign he ran. He made a literal fortune working early on for Uber and getting paid in uh, stock equity instead of cash, right? Like he is in this out, out of a certain sort of uh, love of the game. And I think the math is that you have an election with 100 million candidates where partly because of ranked choice voting, nobody really wants to go that hard at anyone else. Because you want to be their people's number two or number three pick, right? Where there's no in-person voting, you have someone coming in who just banked in his presidential run all of this name recognition. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense of, of why not and this puncher's chance. Like all these cats, one of us cannot be wrong, as Leonard Cohen said, and somebody's got to end up as mayor. So, right. so everyone's taking their shot. Like, like say, take Max Rose. I can just totally dismiss you know, you want to turn in Congress, you lost. Listen, I don't turn my back on white men ever. Not in this country. Never. And fortune favors the bold, right? So it's like, listen, Andrew Yang, to quote Andrew Yang, I'm Asian and I'm good at math, end quote. 
So, yeah, he's doing the math, I guess. And he thinks that he can roll up and be New York City's next mayor with all this, you know, built-in name recognition and ability to fundraise. We know that half these consultants, not half, a lot, are borderline mercenaries. So it's like they'll, you know, <laughs> work for like Tommy the Train if they have to. Like, <laughs> just, it's like cash is cash. Because what we found is also, you know, some rich people, there is never enough money. Because you're never the richest. Per- Until you are the richest person on the planet, you never have enough money because you're looking at other people who have more money than you, right? So it's like, I'm broke. Yeah, of course you're broke compared to like Michael Bloomberg or like, you know, Bill Gates or the, the Sith Lord Bezos. But like lots of people will just keep working for money because money begets money. And so you have, you know, someone like Max Rose who wakes up in the morning. It's like, I failed. <laughs> I lost my job. I'm unemployed. Let me run for a bigger, better job that I, I mean, to have be fair, no qualifications for. To be fair, Trump stepped in on a small election. It got hyped up and drawn into the whole Blue Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter ridiculous Staten Island hubbub. And Meliotakis is now you know, set herself up in Washington, D.C. as some sort of anti-squad, uh, you know, anti-squad female. You know, well, because you can always him. find women like Nicole Maliotakis. She's the low-hanging fruit for women like that. Like, this is why the, the feminist movement has always struggled, because it's like there will always be a Nicole Maliotakis who does the bidding of men so willingly. There'll always be a Nicole Maliotakis, who's the child of immigrants, who does the bidding of, like, white nationalists and anti-immigrant folks. So it's like, you know, she's she's not new to me. I mean, my issue with Max Rose is, because of your district, you did play footsie with these Trumpites. You did play footsie with white nationalists. You did, you know, forget about your big D democratic principles. And now you want to roll up to five boroughs and start talking about what you're going to do for black and brown children, what you're going to do for, like, all five boroughs. It's like, no, homie. You said what you said. And like, granted, that was a different office that you were running for. But now you can't decide that you're unemployed and have a wife and kid and want to all of a sudden be mayor of New York City and, and do a 180. I'm not interested in it. He did do a weirdly 180 on he had before backed defund the de- quote unquote defund movement, which is like the worst PR campaign in the history of like, why take your PR from a protest chant that was made up on the spot? I don't know. But you know what? progressives need to do like better marketing but like i mean like they are in the same horrible camp with democrats i'm like you all have the worst pr like i just you you couldn't rebrand defund you know i don't know but it's like it's like the whole party is run by i don't know someone like tom perez (laughs) here we jump in here for just one sec to say with max rose who i'm very skeptical of because he's he's been representing staten island because he's played footsie, as Chrissy was saying, with the Trumpies, right? And, and because he just lost. He's a one-term House guy who, who lost, and that doesn't seem like a very compelling reason to run for mayor. I mean, his logic is... I'm unemployed. Only, what else is there to do? Everybody this else is the only doing general it. election race, right? He, he had advertising all around the city. People sort of recognize his face. And, yeah, and he's unemployed. Why not? But he, he went to a George Floyd march. He voted for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. He did not vote for uh, defunding the police, um, which specifically was about this this, uh, Eddie Byrne, Edward Byrne Memorial Grant money. And he's never used the phrase. So so I I think that 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 was just one of those things that that, that sort of became super intense in the course of that ridiculous election. That's probably not a uh, 
the best handle by which to understand right. it. Maliotakis accuses him of like supporting defund the police, but now he distances himself from all sort of reallocation of funding towards social services, et cetera, et cetera. And what we got out of it was like some vague secret operation in two zip codes where they're going to start sending EMTs and social workers to deal with the mentally ill and not hired assassins, i.e. the NYPD. Yeah. I mean, listen, we have way too many people. I I never like to say way too many people because it's, you know, we're a democratic republic and we purport to be a democracy. So if you want to run, sure, go ahead. But like for a job this important, I find it very curious that six months before a primary election, you have all these men, I'm using that phrase deliberately, who have nothing else to do realistically because they've lost their various races. And it's like, I should be mayor. And I always used to joke about how men just wake up and look at themselves in the mirror. It's like, oh my gosh, I should be in charge. With what's, like, how are you even making the case that you know what to do, that you know what's going on? I am, I'm thoroughly confused. And I get it. The role of New York City's mayor, I think you grow into the gravitas, you grow into the job relatively quickly if you're actually paying attention and you're interested. Um, But I'm just, I'm not understanding how this crop of people who have policy musings a mile wide and a millimeter deep think that at this moment, you know, for the love of country and city, like, why do you think that you're the one who should be leading us out of this? I don't, I am scratching my head. So that's one term Congressman Max Rose. I think you're thinking of that's a guy who ran for president uh, and did not win any electoral votes, Andrew Yang. And I'm thinking this is also a finance executive, Ray McGuire. Am I missing anyone you'd put on this list of men? <laughs> Mr. We can't tax our way out of it. How about we try? <laughs> How about we try? How about, you know, let's have a policy position that's not, I fundraise for Kamala and Joe so I can go to D.C. and get money from them. I still love the episode we did with Eric Adams. um, Lied to my face. (laughs) Lied to your face about carrying a gun gun or about taking the subway to our interview. Uh, Because I think he lied about both. (laughs) Well, no, he had a car outside waiting for him. But no, I asked him, play the tape. I said, (laughs) you know, my concern was that if we had, God forbid, a terrorist incident, you would be the the mayor who's like, everybody strap up. Let's go to church. And that was a major concern <laughs> for me. And then I asked if he was carrying a gun because I was told that he has one, sometimes two, sometimes three guns on him, which he is legally allowed to have. And he made what the What is he, a that 1920s bootlegger? <laughs> hey. Hey, I got he one said, in my sock. You know, as mayor, he would he'd carry his own weaponry and he wouldn't waste taxpayers' money because he wouldn't need... A detail. I then asked him if he was caring. He chuckled. I said, this is a legit question. And he took a beat and said no. And when that episode aired, I got no fewer than 20 texts from elected officials, listeners, and people who know Eric Adams who said, hey, guess who just lied to your face? <laughs> Brooklyn Borough President. So <laughs> he's, he's not a non-starter like Rose, Yang, and McGuire, to be quite honest. Um, but he's on my list of people that I'm looking at sideways because, you know, I'd have a lot more respect if he just said, yeah, I'm carrying a gun. Here's why. Like Wiener style. It's like, you're not going to like what you hear, but like, 
It is what it is, right? Oh, never, God. never, never go wiener style. No, do not. <laughs> never want to go full does... wiener. Never go full wiener. <laughs> but I mean, I will say this. When Anthony Wiener came to the Amsterdam News endorsement board, a room full of black people, and he said to everyone's face, out the gate, I'm against banning stop and frisk. I'm against changing the SHSAT. Like, those are two things that are that are just non-negotiable for me. And here's why. And by the end of that hour-long interview, we disagreed on maybe 60% of policy issues, but there was a level of respect because it's like we're not going to sit here and obdob about, oh, well, we never know where he's going to fall on issues, unlike certain politicians who came in that same room. And so it's like, I like people to be straight with me. Even if I don't agree with you, I'd rather you be straight up and be honest about what you feel. At least you have something inside. At least I don't open you up and you're just newspapers and, you know, consultants talking points, right? <laughs> like this is where we are with our politics right now. So I think I'm just kind of fed up with like a lack of genuine intellect with people who are running for office who are just sort of like, I'm just going to give you word salad musings of what people have told me to say. And it's like, but what do you feel? What do you think this city really needs? What do you feel? Like I want honesty to a certain extent. I know this subject is important to you, Chrissy, like what is going to happen, what the mayoral candidates' real policies and feelings are toward the NYPD and especially who's going to run it. Um, And as we're talking today, 50A, which was one of the major policy changes to come out of the George Floyd protests over the summer, the repeal of 50A, uh, which, as we've talked about ever since this show began, it was always our big bad. It shielded uh, the public from knowing any of the disciplinary records of most police officers. And now that it's gone, there are police unions filing lawsuits all over New York State. There's um, one county was charging people uh, reportedly over $40,000 for some of the requested information. There's counties that are just not getting back to these requests at all. And so slowly what we're seeing is bureaucratically that repeal of 50A and that transparency erode. And my fear is that, okay, quote unquote, we beat Trump, right? And all of the super active liberals are going to go back to sleep and not really dig in on some of these really important policies that you can't just pass, but you have to like stay on. So I know that that is a big one. Um, the transparency for the disciplinary records. One of their major concerns is that, oh, we don't want to just give out unsubstantiated claims. But who who decides what is substantiated and what isn't? And is that person inside or outside the NYPD? Um, so we're seeing a lot of this kind of like slow erosion of that repeal of 50A. And I'm curious to not that the mayor is in control of that, but they sure as hell are, you know, I- instrumental in the implementation of their police force's transparency. That was a real sentence. Our, our mayor. <laughs> He he ran for office saying this would be the most transparent administration ever, and it's been anything but uh, the 50A fight as we had it. You know, came down to him magically sort of reinterpreting the law after Eric Garner's killing to keep those records out of public view, and just statewide, our freedom of information laws are, uh, uh, you know, I think the technical term is like total shit. So so. <laughs> This gets to the limits of those because Florida, which has many, many other problems, like transparency doesn't solve everything, has wonderful real freedom of information laws and real public records. 
New York has nominally public records that uh, the governments at all levels just throw up obstacle after obstacle to actually accessing, uh, including you know non-responsiveness, uh, fighting FOIL requests, um, and and putting up absurd charges uh, before releasing information. And, you know, the, the sum total is that, that we just don't have all that much transparency into our government or how it functions. And a lot of that is centered around uh, um, uniform services and like police and also fire in particular. It's, it's really unfortunate. And it's something that, that you might expect to hear a lot about from the, the candidates running for mayor, but for a number of reasons, and there's a bunch of people there who I'm impressed by at this point, and I want to hear more from, but nobody <clears throat> wants to talk about most of what's happening because it's in such flux with the virus and the mutation and the vaccine, uh, with this giant budget hole we have and uh, some help coming now from Washington and maybe more is coming. And with the crazy-ass timing of this election where, you know, they moved the primary up to June, so we have less separate elections for different things. But that means you have a primary that basically decides the next mayor and then it's seven months until that person's in office. So we're actually asking right now, like 14 months out, like what are you going to do? And that's a big reason why everyone just wants to be, one, framing themselves as a reformer, that's one lane, or a manager, or a manager who will reform, right? Like that's what Scott Stringer is offering himself as. And, and they don't want to get that much farther in because these aren't actually their problems for like a, a very long time. And, and that's making for, for just a bizarrely divorced race from, in my view, from the, the circumstances we're in. I'm curious as to how many candidates know what 50A is. We should start asking them. And, like, what are their thoughts on it? Because, I mean, as I've said before, you know, this low-hanging fruit of, you know, I'd change police commissioners. And? <laughs> like, okay. Like, what does that tell us? Absolutely nothing. And as I've said before, if de Blasio had said, I'm going to appoint Bratton as my police commissioner, he wouldn't have gotten my vote. So the question I want to know is what you're going to do about police discipline and are you willing right. to break or renegotiate contracts? Uh, like these are real then these aren't questions where it's like gotcha questions. These aren't questions where it's like no, I can't really answer that. It's like no, no, no. You're going to be mayor ostensibly in less than a year from when we're asking you this question and we need to hit the ground running and we don't have time to sort of vacillate as to whether or not you're going to you know, think about the NYPD and, and how you're going to figure out relationships. You should be thinking now, if you want to run for mayor of New York City, who should be your police commissioner? Who's going to best help you figure out these deep-seated behavioral issues that is a corrosion and a cancer within the department, which is basically part of the foundation of the NYPD of racism, sexism, and all-around bad behavior. It's built into the uniform from when they were founded in the turn of the century. So these aren't questions that should be hypothetical. If you want to be mayor, you should be able to answer it. Answer all the questions about repealing 50A or how it should be implemented and what should discipline look like. And I think far too many of the candidates right now are kind of skirting into like, policing is really important. Well, you know what? The sky's blue. Thanks. And the subway's 275 for now. So like, what else you got? Like, there's, there's no news there. And so no one's really pushing them to say, like, then how do you reimagine this? How are you going to work with them as mayor? I think once one of the, the most impactful and kind of saddest moments for me in the in 2020 was that insanely long vote that took place around the city council around the proposed budget and the um, 
the the uh, reallocation uh, of funds from the NYPD to other social services. And that strange like late night cut of like quote unquote a billion dollars that wasn't really a billion dollars. And I remember Corey Johnson just uh, apologetically just being like, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what anyone wanted, but we have to vote for it. And I'm not sure why. I, I still don't understand the reasoning for why we quote unquote had to vote for it. But just watching him say, yeah, I wanted uh, us to be able to use those disciplinary records to purge the police departments and actually be able to f- to, to let go bad, quote unquote, bad or, or cops that have just one disciplinary bad mark after another. And it's interesting about unions. So there's a police union and there's, you know, so I have a funny story of my dad's. I'll say real quick. He was in the the school teachers union. And the first time he was in prison in the 1970s, when he's up for parole, they're like, well, you need to have a job to go back to. And this is all according to him. So let's take this as like an exaggerated probable truth. And he says, yeah, I work for the DOE. I work for the Department of Education. And they're like, what are you talking about? You don't work for them. You're in jail. You're in prison on drug dealing charges. And he's like, no, I work for them. Apparently you needed a three-part trial to actually be fired from uh, as a teacher. So technically, since he wasn't available for that because he was in prison, he was still technically an employee of the DOE. And now transfer that to whatever kind of insane protections the police unions have negotiated for cops and, you know, with quote unquote unsubstantiated disciplinary records. It's not like many of these guys could ever be fired. That's right. And so I feel like if you want to be mayor of New York City, you need to walk me through your thought process on that. And how you're going to do it, right? Because we watched de Blasio not really try. You know, what did he cut? C- civilian overtime? <laughs> you remember You remember when the cops were like, can we... What did they ask? They were like, can we have like 500 cops? And he's like, what, you want 1,000? I was like, wait a minute, sir. <laughs> Wrong direction. Like, negotiating 101. <laughs> they like asked for something. He's like, oh, I'll give you double. He's like, guess what? They're never going to like you. So get over it. Um, I mean, talk about someone who unites the left and the right. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'm trying to have patience because that's my New Year's resolution for the past 15 years. But my patience is really wearing thin because, as Harry has stated, we have 200,000 people running for mayor and their grandparents. And no one is saying anything of substance thus far. Right. I mean, I just think that they're, they're stuck in diagnostic phase where I'm like, guess what? Everyone's been sitting at home, broke and sad. So we've diagnosed the problems. Now I want someone who wants to be a leader and is going to tell us how they plan to get us out of said issues. Here's my last word for, for this one is Democratic primaries are terrible. They're closed primaries. They're only open to registered Democratic voters and they get a fraction of the turnout that general elections get, even though those general elections are often totally non-competitive. What I'd really like to see as the next big reform in New York and from these state lawmakers who've done some really good things like getting us finally early in-person voting and now automatic voter registration is uh, nonpartisan primaries where the top two candidates come out and then compete in the general because those generals are always going to attract many more voters. Nonpartisan primaries are open to everyone, and we're in a system now where maybe a quarter million people are going to decide our next mayor, again, in an incredibly crowded field, 
and it just feels a lot more like a, a crapshoot than a determination of the uh, the will of the people. And I'd really like to see us get away from that. Like I'm, I'm a columnist. It's my job to like inject narrative into things and offer morals and meaning. But I'm not sure that there's going to be a ton of that in this cycle. I think this is very – this is going to be fluky. It's going to be about second-cause stuff like which lane managers – there's a few too many candidates and they're splitting votes. Uh, reformers, how rank choice is going to play into that. This just doesn't seem to me like an ideal system to make really big choices about who's going to run this city. The last time we talked about nonpartisan primaries, it was Bloomberg's idea. Naturally, this infuriated everyone in the Democratic Party when the party was a little more competent and powerful than it is now and infuriated most of the public sector unions. And it was a classic issue that had about 50 percent support in the polls. But he brought it to the voters in a referendum in 2003 when there's no citywide race, but there are a lot of council races. And so out of the Democratic super regulars who showed up, it lost nearly 75-25. So a 50-50 issue goes down three to one. Uh, and I'd really love for us to get past that system and find a way for more people to participate so whoever wins can really say, you know, uh, I have this mandate from the people. This this was New Yorkers' will and have that mean something. That, to me, that's the start of a, a real small-D democratic system. Well, I really think also, though, for city council, we got to figure out something sort of like akin to the Senate where we're on like a third, a third, a third. We can't have two-thirds of the city council up for re-election every eight years. Like, that's just absolutely insane. So I think we need to figure out some sort of staggered system. And I know that not everyone's going to run for a second term and, you know, things are going to happen and people are going to move on. But what we have now, where we just have this massive citywide where it's like the big three, you know, mayor, controller, public advocate, and then you've got borough presidents, and then you've got DAs times five, you know, borough presidents times five, and then two-thirds of the city council? Like, it's just too much, and it's too much turnover, especially if it's all new. You know, it's it's kind of like what the framers envisioned as kind of a worst-case scenario on the federal level. We're we're doing it every eight years in New York now, just like, yeah, this is just kind of how we roll, and it's, it's not good for the city. It's actually not good for productivity. It's not good for policy ideas. It's not good for continuity either. It's great for bureaucrats who have permanent positions. Hey, it's great for consultants too. Mm-hmm. Headless nails. <laughs> oh, New York. I just I worry, Harry, because I'm not I'm not sure what leadership looks like. And, you know, as we think about education and not just the high school systems or the special ed programs or middle school like what or charter schools and you know all these hedge fund managers who all of a sudden love the ghetto like i worry about the education system i worry about this year that kids just aren't kind of learning and parents are really struggling and so how do we get them back up to speed even though so many kids were already behind i worry about sort of the future of rikers and how we're going to view kind of petty crimes in particular neighborhoods i just i kind of of evictions coming there's a lot of overhang right now that's gonna yeah i mean just the confluence of policy issues that it seems like very few people running have any grasp or dare I say interest in. Like we were facing vacancies even before the pandemic. And so now here we are. There is a lot of like, you know, what's going to come up next? You know, got evictions. We've had, I think New York Mag just came out with an article about the massive amounts of overdoses we had this year, got alcohol, drug addiction, evictions, 
massive unemployment. I know that the mayor does, likes to pretend that there's no encampments anywhere, but there's literally encampments all up and down the east side on the way to Bellevue over every heated subway grate. So there's also, you know, a myriad in my neighborhood. Um, I just hope that whatever is going to happen next year, some real help arrives like triage style really, really soon because it's getting kind of tangibly dark out there. Yeah. Well, we've been ripping on some of the mayoral candidates, but I'll say I was listening to the forum about homelessness and mental illness, and uh, I was really impressed with one of the answers there from uh, Catherine Garcia, who's the former sanitation commissioner who's now running for mayor, you know, was getting asked broadly sort of what, what was at the root of these problems, and, you know, everyone else gave – decent process-oriented answers for specific things they would do, some of which were, were helpful and germane. And she just went immediately to supportive housing, which is always the billion-dollar question and uh, the hole in all the rest of this. You either have that or you have people who are out on the streets and you're then having to find them there, provide services for them there, or police them out of there. But any which way, like everything else is dealing with symptoms as, as opposed to the fundamental problem. And people very rarely say that because the fundamental problem is extremely expensive to deal with. And once you say that and, and you put the line there, there, there's no more wiggle room or space to, to just nip around uh, the, the edges. Anyways, we're going to have a lot of these candidates on in the weeks to come. As many of them can vouch, we are, we are nice. Uh, we are fair uh, as interviewers. And I, I very much hope that we're going to have uh, uh, the people who said nice things about and not so nice things about come on and uh, answer answer fair questions and show that they can walk and chew gum and think and you offer a vision for New York all at the same time. You're running for mayor of New York City. If you're going to only go on podcasts where you need to have your ego stroked and feel like people are nice to you, I suggest you not run for New York City. I suggest you not come on this podcast. Like, we are fair people. I'm a professor. You're a journalist. Like, we take our job seriously, right? And, so, and guess what? What if we're not there, right? What if we ask you bias hard questions that you have to answer? <laughs> like, think about that. What if I'm not fair? And, like, then come and show that you actually have some common sense and you want to answer some policy questions. But we are a fair podcast. This is why we've been around for over 100 plus episodes. Because we do have people on where we ask them questions. Because, as I've been very clear, the two things I care about are Black people in New York City cities in general, right? So it's like, if you can't answer those questions, then maybe this isn't the podcast for you. If you can't answer those questions, then maybe running for mayor of New York City isn't for you. So think about that before you send an email asking to be on this podcast. That's my thought. Yes, that's a subtext and a subtweet because I'm still hot. FAQ, NYC, Bear and Falanced. <laughs> I liked the whole criteria where they could sing old New York local, like regional commercial songs like we did with Corey Johnson. I like that to be, you know, one of our barriers for who gets in and who doesn't. If you can hold a tune and actually have a little fun and not take yourself so seriously. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, you know what? And, connect. and I, I'm always fascinated at like, you know, um, What's it called? Not hypothetical history, but the history where it's like, what could have happened if? You know, I, I'm curious to to really think about 
what would this race look like if Corey Johnson were in the race? That that to me is like one of the great New York City mysteries as to like how folks would shake things out and what would be priorities. And he's in a lane, he denied being in this lane, but I'm telling you he was in this lane that no one else was in where as an identity candidate, and every candidate is that as well as a policy candidate, he was going to be the cheerful personality corrective to the mayor. In place of that, we now have several managerial correctives to the mayor. But he was saying, this guy is dour. I'm going to cheer. I'm going to be out at the front of parades and like smiling and singing. This mayor is like, oh, reporters, I object to the uh, premise of your question. He's like, well, I'm going to DM you just because I want to chat right now. Yeah. You know, it's a very different register. But I think that, you know, in an era of COVID, having someone who appreciates joy is like, you know, we we talk about this all the time in black politics. It's a form of resistance in some way. And it's a it's a real, it's a deliberate choice. And it's a strategy in moving people forward and moving people over to your side. So the fact that Corey embraces that, I think, would have provided a really unique perspective as to how we view these issues. And how we talk, I mean, it, like, let's be clear, the man's a shark. Like, you know, get to become <laughs> speaker of city council by like, telling jokes and dancing at parades. So how does his entree into the race kind of change the tone of the conversation? But he's more comfortable in a policy space than the vast majority of the candidates in the race. So I'd be interested in like the honey traps that, you know, he would set as like a seasoned politician. We should ask the mayoral candidates who are actually running how their campaign would change had Corey been in the race. I mean, I don't even know. Are, are, are people even running campaigns? I mean, like, what is happening? What is happening? So we'll see. I guess we'll 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 keep thinking about this until until June. They would be in uh, in an open primary for real, and they are not mm-hmm. in this closed primary because there's just not enough voters to go around. Most of those voters aren't paying attention, and it's just special interest groups and money. So you're talking. Well, and most voters, let's be very clear, and I'm low-key one of them. It's like most people cannot rest, especially people of color, until January 20th at like 2 p.m. Like realistically, like the election's not over. You have a maniac who will not concede. We are literally in the midst of a coup, right? That many journalists just don't get it, don't see it, don't understand the capacity of a man like Donald Trump uh, and don't understand history and what has happened. So many people can't focus on a local race just yet because we're not out of the woods yet. Like we're still in hyper dangerous times. And for a lot of women who have dealt with insecure men, you know that when they get backed into a corner and get desperate and more desperate and like rabid, this is what we're seeing on a daily basis. So the closer we get to January 20th, in some ways, it's like the more danger we're in, in dealing with the president. And so to ask someone then to focus on controller and public advocate and the mayor and city council and your borough president and then your DA. Like, it's like, wait, like, I can't. Like, I don't even know what what that means for, like, my own physical safety as a person in this country on a federal level when the president's calling, the you know, for the support from domestic terrorists. So I'm not uh, absentee shaming folks who don't pay attention just yet. Will participate. I'd love so, for them to participate, but I get it if people don't. That's a perfect closing note. I'm going to do the credits from memory. So this will be uh, fun and a little wrong. 
FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brick House Cooperative of Independent Artists and Journalists. We usually record at NYU's McSilver Center for Poverty, Policy, and Research, but we came to you this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan in the honorary borough of Philadelphia. A special thank you to our guests, us, and until next week, be safe, be kind, be good, be decent, wear a mask, get tested if you need to, get a vaccine if you're properly in line to do such a thing, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye.